Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. This podcast is sponsored by Deluxe's eFilm. eFilm has proudly supported filmmakers by providing unique artistry, innovative technology, and a full complement of post-production services for nearly three decades. We're talking to Lena Sangram today about Battle of the Sexes. Linus, welcome to the American Cinematographer podcast. Thanks for having me. And I thought, you know, before we get going on, on the specifics of the movie, sort of catching up with you a little bit, it's been a bit of a wild year. Uh, you know, you get an Academy Award beginning of the year, and now this movie's coming out. Um, and then I think you have a couple more uh, in the queue as well. Um, maybe you can kind of catch us up with this year's been like, uh, where you're at now. Um, I know you're, you're going to be teaming with Damien again at some point uh, for the Neil Armstrong picture. Uh, yeah, so right now, actually, I am in prep for the Armstrong film called The First Man with Damien Chazelle. And uh, we're going to start shooting uh, basically in November for uh, for a couple of months. So I'm down in Atlanta prepping. And did you work on a, a, a film with Lasse Hallstrom as well? Oh, yeah. So uh, before that, I did the um, film in uh, we shot in London in Pinewood uh, called uh, The Nutcracker. And um, which is in post-production at the moment, and uh, that will come out next year. So has it been, um, you know, I don't know where you were at in making Battle of the Sexes uh, at the time you won the Academy Award beginning of the year, but is it kind of a, a difficult transition period to be pulled out of one to celebrate the accomplishments of another and then jump back in? Has it been a, a crazier than, than typical for you? Well, it was kind of crazy when we were shooting uh, the Nutcracker, which was last year uh, through the fall, you know, um, to to be involved in, uh, in in the craziness going on with all the interviews and stuff for the uh, for for La La Land, you know. But that's um, that's part of it. That's how it is, right? For Battle of the Sexes, I thought it would be informative for you to just take us back to the start of the project, if you recall. Um, you know, everyone uh, will know probably based on a real-life event about the famous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs back in the 1970s. I don't know if you've done a lot of true stories, uh, I guess... Uh, David or Russell's joy was, was based on a real person. Um, but this was an event and the characters that many in the viewing audience are very familiar with. So I thought to start, give us the initial challenge, the mission statement uh, that the co-directors Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris uh, laid out for you uh, in terms of how you were going to tell this, this real story. Well, Valerie and Jonathan were very keen on making the film to feel very authentic for the time both in uh, the sort of authenticity for how the match actually was played and, and how things looked at the time. And they very much wanted us to try to look at the making of the film as if we were filmmakers from the 70s, you know, making a contemporary drama about uh, a current event. So it's, it's not as much, you know, like looking back at with nostalgia uh, to the 70s, rather, um, you know, try to create a drama that's um, dramatic at the at the time. And um, our visual references came to become a lot about like, you know, drama thrillers rather uh, at that time uh, for both the, you know, the, the visual of the lighting and the colors. But um, 
I think um, to to a large extent, it was it, it was it, it was a lot about trying to think about uh, the film as if we were filmmakers from the seventies, basically. So I, I believe that if I understood right, I, you guys opted to shoot the picture on film, running Airy cams and Kodak stock 35 millimeter. Um, thought maybe you could explain why that decision was made. Did you test any digital formats? Consider anything else? Or because you were trying to shoot as though you were making a movie then in the, in the 70s, this was just kind of a no-brainer to begin with. Yeah, it was actually a no-brainer for all of us uh, to shoot on film. We tested 16 millimeter uh, and 35 millimeter because we were kind of intrigued by the the idea of shooting on 16 because to me it's like and also for Jonathan and Valerie it was like 16 sort of today looks a little bit like old prints of the 70s so in the, in a way you know 16 could actually kind of look like a 35 mil print if it's uh, not like a perfect print maybe so we tested both super 16 anamorphic actually like the hawk 1.3 anamorphics but i really love those lenses and then we we tested the 35 millimeter uh, spherical uh, you know super 35 one 235 to one with spherical primes and um, then especially old spherical primes and zooms and we realized with our whole uh, idea about uh, sh thinking like filmmakers from the 70s that we just had to go for working a lot with zooms and in that way um, we ended up shooting 35 and in order to get the look to look more like something we were looking for from the 70s we felt that um, the version of the 35 millimeter that we push processed gave us uh, a much higher, um, you know, color saturation and also higher contrast, and also added grain that was actually something we really liked for the feel of the 70s. And by doing so, we felt that we naturally got to the look of something we were aiming for for the 70s, as opposed to, you know, introduce things in post-production that would, you know, be like a filter um, uh, reminding us of the 70s. I, I really always appreciate to capture in camera what, what I can to to create the look we're looking for. And um, that was really nice. We've, we did that in combination with that we you know, found all these vintage lenses like um, old engineer zooms, including a very interesting 20 to 1 that was, um, uh, you know, 25 to 500 millimeter, uh, very unusual lens. And um, we used them uh, with, with a warm flare uh, in combination with the Kawa Cinema Promenade lenses uh, primes when we needed primes. And, the, you know, you mentioned the, these different choices uh, with the lensing. Um, obviously, it's a movie that, that's got different sections to it. There's obviously the, the action, the tennis, the sports, when you're replicating um, the style and, and in some cases the, the actual uh, play of, of tennis matches from, from back in the day um, mm -hmm. during when this story takes place. But then there's also the intimate stories of both characters, Bobby Riggs uh, and Billie Jean King. You know, what was sort of your lensing philosophy for when you're doing the intimate stuff, the romantic stuff, the personal stuff, as juxtaposed to, mm -hmm. to the, uh, the approach for, for making the tennis uh, remind everyone of what we saw back in the 1970s? 70s. Well, we had a general, you know, idea of trying to tell the story in sort of single takes with a uh, with one camera, which is something I'm really fond of from from also a lot in the 70s, especially like Storaro and Bertolucci did this, uh, where you block the scenes so that you sort of think that they've cut 
you know, in the scene, but it's it's blocked in like with the actors and with the camera in a way that you use zoom and dolly and move move the image around and tell the story in one take. And um, we had that as sort of a general idea for a lot of the storytelling, also inspired by Altman's uh, like Nashville and um, and other films from that time. But what we did then for the um, for trying to have a theme for um, for for the private moments versus the um, public moments for these characters, it was very important that uh, there was a distinction between the life that everyone sees, the public life, was sort of expressed visually one way, and the the, the private moments were different. And the the rules we created for ourselves was about basically uh, that if the characters let us close to them, we would go close to them physically. Uh, while if they were very public and not private, they would not let us uh, under their skin, so they would, would keep us away from them. So the ultimate sort of uh, long distance you could have uh, away from the characters would be through the TV, basically, and then you're on like a thousand millimeter lens in, in the public tennis match, right? But then for the moments when we wanted to be close with them, like in the intimate moments with uh, Bobby and his wife or with, uh, with Billie Jean and his, her girlfriend, then um, we would be close and handheld. And, uh, you know, we, tried, we, we really just tried to be emotionally, you know, responsive to, to what the characters let us do. And sometimes we were sort of curious. We wanted to be like curious, but respectful and sensible to the characters as if we were there in the moment sometimes you need to step back a little bit to watch uh, someone but um that was sort of one of the themes we had and another theme was about loneliness because a lot of those characters are very lonely and that we we use different ways of stepping back you know in a wider shot watching them from a distance or we used a lot of like with bobby uh, that he was behind sort of fence behind windows and glass and, and fences like um, uh, in the frame that sort of framed him behind bars, <laughs> sort of imprisoned. So it was like themes like this that we like to uh, work with um, to, you know, enhance the emotions in the film. And then we actually had another theme that was more like for the actual battle and the, the cause that, you know, her cause for equal rights and equal pay that uh, manifests in, in sort of this simple idea of where forward motion is going left to right and uh, backward motion is going right to left, right? And then we felt like that in this case, we wanted to have the women being the progressive or actually any character who was progressive uh, would be actually moving to the right or looking to the right, while uh, the ones who were like going backwards, uh, which usually were the men, uh, would go and look left. Uh, so we have these um, themes that we worked with too, which I feel is like something that is is important, even if it's subtle, you know, it's kind of important to have rules for yourself to visually tell the story. So not everything just comes out of the dialogue, right? I think I remember uh, there was one scene in particular um, on that whole issue of being intimate and yet respectful at the same time, um, you know, where Bobby Riggs uh, basically got thrown out of his house by his wife and he's trying to get, get her back. Um, and I mm -hmm. think you'd mentioned something to me about how could you not get in too close 
um, right. and put it on a Zoom and yet get that emotion, uh, you know, very clearly on, onto the screen. Well, exactly. It's like, um, so in that scene, we we started out feeling that we wanted to be handheld in the scene and intimate and close. But it was so, it felt so powerful to be there and you wanted to be respectful at the same time. So you couldn't like be in his face uh, right in there, super close, but you wanted to be close. So then that that was a perfect situation where you had, we had like a short Zoom and I had a macro function on the Zoom and I could actually sit like about five feet away, kind of not in his face, but still see him, uh, a close-up of him. And, and in the tension of the scene where he's realizing that he's not perhaps getting her back, right? We're zooming slowly in to see see better into his eyes. And it would have been disturbing, I think, if we felt that we were moving in, because it would be sort of provocative and too much of an like inquisitive kid version of filmmaking so i think sometimes it's like beautiful to just stay back and be sort of respectful for the character and and just you know sneak in there and try to see as good as you can but you can't perhaps be perfect but you sort of try you know and that was like what was important i think in this film for me was to to look at it that way like what would i do if i was there for real like how close would i actually be you know or would i actually stand back and stay outside the room and watch them from there uh, sometimes you know you you want to leave people alone and, and perhaps they're, they're they're sad or they're like needing some privacy and then you have to step back well in other scenes you you're allowed in and you could be very close and intimate along these same lines you know what about maybe you could contextualize the role of lighting uh, your collaboration with your gaffer brad hazen i think um i read something about um trying to be practical as much as you can and, and not mm. go crazy with film light and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, Brad and I have worked uh, a lot together uh, on commercials and we, he also did La La Land with me. And, and coming from that film where we worked with sort of a theatrical lighting on, uh, on, on, in the real world, in this film, we wanted to have a more sort of realistic lighting and also use all realistic light sources that that would, would be available like we would use sodium vapors and mercury vapor lights and and you know tungsten lights and and so on but we wouldn't really use any uh, you know movie moonlights or uh, things like this but like the street lights at night were like practical street lights and then we would decide to use them a little more like gordon willis uh, single source few few light sources one key light in a in a good position and cameras in the shadow you know and but that source would perhaps be you know a sodium vapor light you know but it would be one and then uh, then we would be in the shadows so we try to you know define and, and uh, the the character of the scenes with with one key light or one source and then we would be kind of minimalistic in the way we would think about lighting. So we, we wouldn't, you know, use too much lights and we would try carefully to not make it look like it's lit with film lights. You know? And that, that was great. We used, you know, um, all kinds of traditional lights and also LEDs and a mix, mix of light sources. And of course, you, you had a great cast, um, you know, led by... Uh, Emma Stone and Steve Carell, um, you know, who are playing two historic real-life 
characters, uh, and, and you didn't really shy, shy away from them, and particularly Emma as Billie Jean King, um, you know, who who happens to be a character who whose whole life until a certain point in the story had been about tennis. And, uh, you know, it takes this relationship she gets into to realize that, you know, she can be attractive and things. So there's scenes where she's getting her hair done and, and that kind of thing and kind of changing her look and becoming mm-hmm. aware of herself. How, creatively, how did the lighting and, and the framing and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, match the story point that, that the directors were trying to tell there about her be you know, awakening to the fact that she could be attractive and beautiful and all that kind of stuff. I think that was one of the moments when that first happens where we are sort of ultimately close to her, you know. It's a, the point in the first scene when she meets Marilyn is to make it, sensual you know and, and, and emotional and we wanted to observe it very close and um, I think it felt like she led us as well because she opens up right for her a new friend so that was sort of easy to get in tight but we actually used a specific lens for those moments uh, which was um, a Canon um, uh, 25 to 120 zoom which we used on that other shot too but this this lens was also had an had a different coating it was like actually just not perfect coating it had uh, some flaws like it was a little more milky so that particular lens gave us some a little more dreamy look you know and uh, we found that in in the in the prep that this lens was actually perhaps useful for those moments because i was thinking about other ways of you know exaggerate that feeling but um that was the lens we always used when we came in that close, uh, when she gets her hair cut and so on. Besides um, some footage on TV monitors and things, was there uh, any real-life archival footage uh, you know, in the tennis matches or anything else, or did you have to manufacture all of it? No, we, we used um, the commentator, you know, um, is real footage, and then uh, we comped in Rosie. Uh, our Rosie Cassells with Howard Cosell. Rosie Cassell, exactly, exactly. So she was she was comped in, and there was other um, TV, like you said, other TV footage was um, real footage. But in the match, we actually shot everything. So in the tennis match, all the footage in the film is shot by us, with the cast or with their, uh, you know, tennis doubles, the ones who were the professional tennis players that played for standing who were standing in for the actors in in the tennis matches we shot all the footage but uh, it was matched to the real matches um, by you know the tennis choreographer and um, and the cast and tennis players they were all matching the real points, you know, from the matches because they were so suspenseful. And, and um, um, Valerie and Jonathan, they really wanted us to, you know, have the matches as authentic as possible. And so they basically learned the important points in the in the matches, and um, they just had to recreate them. And then we shot them with like classic uh, angles for a tennis match. And the reason for that is that, you know, when you watch a tennis match for real, uh, the only way you possibly can understand what's going on is by watching it from basically one angle. Otherwise, you would be sort of confused of the actual game. Um, and um, 
it's very suspenseful when you see the point actually happen for real and you see it's actually the Billie Jean, our Billie Jean King playing and our, uh, you know, Bobby Riggs are playing this match and you see it's happening for real in one big wide shot and then you cut in for the reactions after or uh, between the points. And the trick there was to use, you know, tennis doubles and uh, we shot both tennis doubles and the cast. And uh, Lola, um, the visual effects company, they were um, they were modifying the the tennis doubles to match, you know, with the face replacement, but also like muscle differences or length of legs and stuff. They did a lot of work on that, which was kind of incredible. I thought. Now this was supposed to be uh, uh, the big match between Bobby Riggs and, and Billie Jean King, supposed to be the Houston Astrodome. It was the LA Sports Arena, I guess, prior to it uh, being torn down. Uh, what were some of the complications, uh, you know, of shooting it generally, but also to mimic the location and then to make sure that the, the you know, you were getting, uh, re- replicating the actual match the way it was covered on TV. And then on top of that, making sure you left out anything that would indicate that your two actors uh, were not, in fact, uh, Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King, you know, you had a lot of challenges there, a lot of things you had to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And on time. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's the, that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it was pretty straightforward. I mean, we had a lot of green screen around the set and we didn't have like 100,000 extras. So uh, we basically did the court and the bleachers that were surrounding the court. There was a copy of the real match and the colors and of how the layout looked and, and the set looked. It was very much like authentic. And then we had obviously a distance problem. We couldn't get away from the court as far as you could get away from the court in uh, Astrodome. And we had shots where we wanted her to sit up in the bleachers, looking down in the preparation of the match and um, stuff like that. But it, it worked out uh, like by, we shot her on the real bleachers in, in the sports arena. And we shot plays of the, you know, um, court as far away as we could. And then down on the court, we had like the angles we needed. We filled up with extras as much as we could, and and then we did a green screen beyond. And um, they they added like plates of people in combination with CG uh, characters. But the the main part for us was, I think, really to shoot the match pretending that the background was all real right and then just shoot the match as much as tv cameras did at the time uh, covering this type of match and it was basically the baseline camera captured we had two baseline cameras one high up and one lower that could capture sort of the game points uh, and then we had on both sides the same setup so we could choose which uh, perspective we wanted for each game point and then we had the cameras on the sides that captured sort of everything that went on throughout the match uh, between between the points. And we, we mixed, basically, we did a take, a sequence with a tennis player, and then we did a sequence with actors, and then by editing, you know. So, yeah, so Pam Martin just figure out, you know, to cut the film in a way that, in, in, to, to a large extent, I think, it's like, actually, we're using the doubles as they are, and then some, some scenes are with, the face replacement of the doubles and then you cut in right away to uh, you know our characters the real actors in a natural way you know like you would in a match 
And and a lot of the match, I mean, the points are the points in the match, which is important. But I think what's really important in the in this part of the movie is is what's going on between the points with the characters, and that is obviously authentic and captured for real as well. So, with this being, uh, you know, stylized and, and tried to be uh, shot, you know, in, in that specific style and from that era was there any need uh for the use of you know specialized equipment cranes remote heads spider cams i don't think you were flying drones around there but you know any of that stuff no but the that was the that was one of our like points we were a little bit for at first we we thought that we had to you know dramatize the the visuals of a tennis match but a tennis match is you know uh, exciting and thrilling as it is if it's a good match you don't need to you know uh, make a camera sh- you know shots like in an action movie where a car moves slowly so you have to do special shots to make it look like it's much faster and cooler and and i think that would, would have been a mistake to you know do uh, crazy shots of the tennis ball flying over the net and stuff and instead rely on the drama in the actual game in combination with having cameras that could capture great you know vantage points of what was going on behind the scenes and in this case i think we just equipped ourselves with very long lenses very long zooms we could like reach far we could see things and we put them in in some additional angles from that that you wouldn't normally cover in a tennis match but it would still feel like a normal angle for a camera but it, we very much wanted that match to feel like as, as authentic as possible in that sense, you know, in camera, in, in the camera point of view. Also, because we wanted the cameras to not be able to be just anywhere because of that rule we had about being distant. <clears throat> and in this case, you know, you were not on, in their private world. You tried to, but they wouldn't let you, you know. And then, you know, another thing I totally had forgotten about, I'm sadly, I'm old enough to remember that era a little bit, um, <laughs> the master um, promotional skills uh, of Bobby Riggs, uh, there was a lot of fun stuff. Um, I mean, he really went to town, you know, uh, uh, hitting balls with dogs on a leash in a dress, a raincoat, uh, in um, scuba gear, uh, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. Was there any fun uh, or complications filming all that? I mean, it almost comes across like a little snippet of Benny Hill a couple of times. It was a lot of fun. Oh, totally, yeah. No, I mean, he was a character, and and, um, you obviously wanted to create some sort of natural motion there um, and uh, chaos. And I think a lot of that was also created with uh, in the editing, you know, but... um, it was it was a matter of trying to make it look fun, you know, and and part of it was actually when he's out with the sheep uh, in the court. Uh, we actually through the our twenty to one zoom, the twenty five to five hundred millimeter on uh, Ari Robin's Steadicam, and actually shot that on Steadicam. It was one of the few shots we shot on Steadicam, but uh, just to make the situation even crazier, so we all like actually laughed around. It was very funny, and then, but yeah, I mean. It, again, it, it, it was it was a lot about um, trying to react emotionally to the scenes, and in that case, it was fun, you know. So then we reacted with uh, joy, while in uh, sad moments we reacted more um, uh, with more sensibility, you know. And what was the uh, the philosophy or um, or the aesthetic about the color palette? You know, it's nineteen seventies period piece and. You're obviously trying to be true to the era, but you're not trying to be over the top. 
you know, how much of what we saw on the screen was just your photography and, and how much did the DI assist you in extending it uh, or was it, you know, with your colorist Mitch Paulson over at eFilm uh, or was it more about just sort of visual effects and cleaning up around the edges, that kind of stuff? Uh, we did um, extensive tests in the beginning together, Mitch and and I, and and um, also together with obviously Judy Becker, the production designer, and and Mary Sofris, costume designer. We we were very keen together to get everything in camera, you know, um, to the point that uh, to me, I mean, it, it makes a huge difference to even you know which film stock or if it's push processed or pull processed, half a stop, you know, it's like it makes a difference. It makes it makes a little bit of difference and. And all of that is it's it's much more fun to try to capture it, you know, in camera as much as possible. And we did test together. We've developed it a lot together at um, eFilm with Mitch. That was uh, basically a, a print emulation uh, lot. But um, we decided things like you know the white point or 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 things like this. And then we did a test, and then we committed to that lot, and we committed to a way of um, shooting the film. And uh, very much, I think, I'm also that type that I like the dailies to look the way I want, you know, I want the film to look like the dailies. So I want the dailies to look good and very much uh, the way you want, want the film to look. And, and if it doesn't look good, then I change in the lighting or in the exposure or whatever doesn't match the vision we have together. So after we had developed that um you know aesthetics with uh, how what's the amount of orange we need on the lights to make the sodium vapor look like we want the sodium to look how much gel do we use on the mercury vapor you know it's all these questions and decisions you make and then together with judy and mary for colors of how white should the shirts be you know we i'm i'm very maybe old school in that but i i like that to be correct when you're shooting and then we had matt wallach uh, colorist for dailies uh, working with print printer lights and and um, he adjusted you know as as true to to the negative he could and and um, and then he sent me you know stills on a calibrated iPad that I could quickly in the next morning watch uh, stills that he had grabbed from the daily suite we did the cinema you know the cinema scan dailies which is that you you basically the settings you do in the dailies you can transfer to the di uh, so they're they're scanned and i'll tell us in it and then we decided on look in the dailies and then that then transferred to the di and then mitch was <clears throat> obviously a genius in helping me especially with like windows to darken an area that was too bright or you know we had things like this but in general we were you know had the same look that we established already in the as we were shooting you know now obviously you came into this coming off your great success uh, on la la land um congratulations yet again on your academy award and this obviously a totally different kind of a picture in just about every way but you did have to stage a performance a tennis performance in this case supposed to big musical numbers uh, one coming out of the real world one totally fantasy fabricated that, that was incredible. Are there any lessons, however, that, that you took from your La La Land experience and you applied the shooting tennis here or are they just totally different creatures? Well, I think they're totally different creatures. I think that um, you have to start over each time with the script in focus and see what the script needs. And obviously you learn things from 
everything we do, right? And I think, I mean, I learned things from La La Land, like to never give up, for example. But uh, I think it was different creatures because La La Land uh, was very much about a camera that was a character and was kind of a whimsical character that wanted to be in the middle of everything and, and react to things with its own notion, you know, but in this case, you're an observer and you have to be, uh, you know, a respectful observer to the characters. And it's actually a totally different type of um, point of view. And, and uh, which is great. I love that to, you know, uh, take whatever feels best for each script and develop a, a method, a method and a, you know, a visual um, approach that, tells the story the way the story wants to be told uh, or at least what you think the story wants to be told and i think that's the key uh, for every project to to be open-minded and not just like do things like you did something else that was successful or, or not you know but i think um that that's the joy of like doing new projects i, I think is to to look for for new challenges in in each project now you're rolling into um Working with Damien Chazelle again uh, on the Neil Armstrong uh, picture, uh, First Man, uh, is is that similar? Where there's lessons from each of them, you'll bring, uh, you know, uh, onto that picture for lessons you'll you'll get from Battle of the Sexes that will be applied there and so on down the line. Absolutely, I mean, the, there is uh, lessons that I learned from Battle of the Sexes that um, could apply for first man but um there are also like fundamental differences in how the story wants to be told and um you still have to start over and and think outside the box as much as you can you know and not like we have prejudiced ideas about how how to solve things and and um listen to the director and see what he what his vision is and her you know it's it's absolutely uh, things you learn all the time, I think. You don't want things to look exactly the same as well, but, I mean, that film takes place in the 60s, uh, which is also a period film, so. Linus, I do want to, you know, thank you for taking the time to have this chat with us. Absolutely, thank you. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.